0: Welcome to the Tutu Artist Studio with your hosts, Michelle, Casey, and Angela, where three professional tutu artists come together to caffeinate, laugh, and talk everything tutus.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tutu Artist Studio podcast. I'm Casey, and today, Michelle and I are very excited to have this wonderful show for you. We are joined with a very special guest speaker who many in the ballet costume industry will recognize as being the leading lady in tutu making. She is considered a master (laughs) in the art form and engineering of tutu construction. She is one of the first to begin her business outside of the highly guarded opera houses and ballet theaters and costume (laughs) shops. And she brings her wealth of knowledge to the masses as a trailblazer with her company, Tutu.com and Tutu School. Yes, we are delighted to have Claudia Folkz on the show. (laughs) Claudia, welcome welcome to the podcast.
2: Did we embarrass you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So Claudia,
1: (laughs) thank you so much for making your time for us um, in your hugely busy day. Um, I'm I'm glad to. This
2: is fun. (laughs) (laughs) And it got me out of the shop for a while. I get to So there were
1: a lot of back and forth messages with us and you know we're all crossing off these dates. Oh, she's not available that day or yeah, she's available this one but ah, oh, Michelle's not available for that date. <laughs> so we are so lucky to have you with us.
2: Oh, but, I'm uh, lucky.
1: <laughs> we we usually start off with our tagline and that is we got to ask you, what is in your cup?
2: <laughs> Water. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Water. I, yeah, I thought about a glass of wine, but I thought, no, not, not if I'm going to be talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know. I I've got to ask you, you know, like with your, um, busy schedule, you know, you, you were saying in your text message to me that, you know, geez, I work 70 plus hours a week and <laughs> my God, you've got to have some Supreme grade coffee in that cup. So. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. I do three shots in the morning of, um, espresso with, um, you know, a little bit of creamer, and, and yeah, that that's it. That gets me going for the rest of the day. So, <laughs> thank God for espresso. <laughs> oh yes. And then the other question that we
1: normally ask is, um, what is under your needle right now? And and your needle
2: is very Ow. broad and <laughs> yeah. encompasses more than just actual sewing. Yeah, I have got a ton of different projects going on right now today. I was making 30 kitty tutus for an old friend of mine who runs um, the she's the assistant dean of the dance program at the Colburn School out in L.A. And um, they had ordered 30 little children's tutus for their youngest students um, for mid-May. And actually, their show is next Friday. <laughs> <laughs> A good thing that Darlene called me yesterday and said, Hey, um, you know, I'm not sure if I told you this or not. Oh boy, (laughs) so yeah, so anyway, so I've got about three more hours to go to finish them. I mean, they're fast, you know, and and you know, if if I was doing it during the week with two other people, I mean, you know, we would have knocked them out already, but you know, what can you do anyway? I I always love
0: hearing your stories, how you're, you're like, no, I did that thing. And then I did this. You're sort of like (laughs) wear all the hats there. And I think, you know, sometimes when people sort of become like the person in charge, I feel like they step back from all of the things, but you have never, in my opinion, from what I've known of you have never stepped back from any of the things.
2: Right. Uh, You know, my my mentor was my ballet teacher. One of my mentors. I had two really good mentors who were ballet teachers, um, David Howard and Bobby Lindgren. And both of them said, don't ever ask anybody to do anything that you're not willing to do you know, yep. and David's biggest advice was find people that are experts at what they do and let them do their job, don't micromanage them. And so, you know, for a long time, it took me a long time to figure out how to find people who actually were good at what they do, you know, mm-hmm. people that I didn't have to stand over that I could trust and things like that, you know, and I mean, Summer and Lindsay have been with me for almost 11 years. And... Um, I wouldn't second guess anything, you know, it's like whenever I have overhired people come in, um, you know, occasionally when we're trying to do a rental project, you know, we'll bring in some people and, and the, you know, and of course they all think of that I'm the boss cause I'm sort of the face of tutu.com, but I'm not the boss in the shop. Summer is because she's in the shop full time. I'm everywhere, you know, <laughs> so I am all over the place. And so the first thing I have to say to them is, you know, when you're in the shop, you answer to Summer, you don't answer to me, period. Yeah. If I'm in the shop, I answer to Summer because that's what I hired her to do. Yeah. And let me tell you, I'm scared of her. <laughs> <laughs> she is so good at what she does and so consistent, you know. And, um, you know, she catches everything. And, but that, that's good. I mean, things are going out consistently. And that's important. That's so, good. Anyway. Well, you
1: need, to, you need to have faith and be able to – totally give the the reins off to you know who you trust in your shop yeah. and that's yeah. that's really good i i i met summer when you know we came out to charlotte for for one of the tutu schools the very first tutu school i came to yeah. and yeah, she's really just a lovely love lovely lady oh, you know she's and amazing. she's so yeah. welcoming and i yeah. remember during tutu school when you were working with some other ladies and i just went up to her and i was able to ask her some questions
2: yeah. and yeah
1: yeah, she's, she's
2: amazing. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing. You know, people come over to work in the shop and they don't want to ask questions. And, uh, you know, even Lindsay, who's, you know, been in this business for probably 30 years, um, asks detailed, specific questions all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you have to, if you know, because the person who's in charge of a project, you know, tries to be as detailed as possible. but doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes, you know, you assume, oh, you know, and, and and you don't want your stitchers to assume things. They need to know exactly what you want. So it's the people that ask questions. That's one of the best ways to get a job in this business, you know, is be someone who's willing to ask questions and do it the way that particular shop wants it done, not their own way. And, you know, you deal with that all the time. I mean, you you can do it your own way at home, you know, for your own customers, but you've got to do it, you know, a specific way when you're working in a shop. Yeah. And, of course,
1: it's it's always difficult having that – insight into what truly is going on in their mind and what is yeah. envisioned in their mind of what they want that costume to look like so without asking questions you're just you're you're off on a left tangent so oh, yeah oh yeah yeah
2: yeah you know, yeah so that's I mean, that, I think that's the most important thing is, you know, and I ask questions all the time, you know, because I mean, often I take things home here because I'm doing other things, you know, at the shop. And and so I'll be really specific and ask Summer, OK, what what's needed for this project? You know, um, it might be double hand pleating or I might be sewing some hooks and bars. I mean, whatever I need to do it the way that that particular project needs it done. So, yeah. you know, and I'm. I'm not always, you know, the the head boss, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I definitely want to ask this question right okay. off the bat. <laughs> you you were just involved in a documentary series about oh. the Harkness Ballet, yeah. and the documentary yeah. series was called An American Ballet Story, and it just released in April. We all know that uh, with your stories at Tutu School and your, your <laughs> starting of your biography, That you grew up through the Harkness years. So I would just, I would love to just hear Um, your stories of Harkness.
2: That Leslie Strait, who's the producer is just amazing and she had met maria bay out in california maria bay was one of the directors co-director with david howard at harkness and you know and maria's still teaching she's in her 80s leslie was just fascinated she was a you know she was taking adult ballet classes and she was you know had never heard of the harkness ballet you know Mm -hmm. which is totally gone now but basically rebecca harkness was um a very wealthy woman who loved ballet she was a composer and she took ballet classes on the side. She was never a professional dancer, but she loved it. And so she, you know, took all, all of her money, literally everything, and put it into this place. She bought an incredible townhouse on East 75th and 5th Avenue, you mm-hmm. um, know, gorgeous place. People like Salvador Dali would come in. Um, he designed this thing, this Chalice of Life for her so she could pirouette into eternity when she died. And he'd come in, you know, once a year to check it and make sure that, you know, it all worked. So when it had to pirouette, it would pirouette. Always crazy art people there, because there was an art gallery in there. And it was just the most beautiful, elegant studio. And, mm-hmm. you know, crazy at the same time. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people who are doing, you know, wonderful things these days, came out of Harkness. Helgi Thomason was at Harkness before he went to New York City Ballet, and then before he became director at San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, Larry Rhodes, who was the head of dance at Juilliard, was out of Harkness. Finis Young was out of Harkness. Patricia Neary, I mean, all, you know, just so many people. Jameson danced at Harkness, you know, in between. She was at Ailey and then Harkness and then Ailey. Mm So, I mean, it, it, you know, so it, what was interesting about it is they were also at the same time kind of experimenting with ballet training. And so they would take someone who was so bow-legged that you could drive a Mack truck through their legs and <laughs> teach, them, teach them to really be a good dancer or someone, like, you know, 45 degree hyperextension. David Howard used to take gaffer's tape and tape my feet flexed. So I couldn't oh. point them to make me use my thighs because I was so hyperextended. You know, one time I'm in the rosin box with these taped up feet, you know, that look like claws. And Anthony Dowell comes up behind me and asks me if the surgery worked. <laughs> 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 it was like a principal at the Royal Ballet at the time. And I, I was like, oh, I couldn't even talk, you know. <laughs> but you know, I guess that's what it looked like, you know, because nobody really knew what they were doing. You know, they were just figuring out what would work to make people stronger, you know. So it was a really incredible place. There were a lot of good things there. A lot of crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but how many I, years I,
1: were you were you there, Claudia?
2: Probably two, you know, mm-hmm. I think probably two at the most. Um, it's amazing how those those years when you're, you know, between say sixteen and twenty are so they so inform your life, you know, mm-hmm. everything about it. I was there towards the end and David, when David Howard left and then we had Willie Berman came in with Alfonso Cata, and that was wonderful. We did ballet on Broadway with them mm-hmm. and then they were gone. Cause I mean, it was so erratic Rebecca fired the first company in Monte Carlo and just left them all there for, <laughs> I don't know why, you know, I mean just there, you know, there were things like that all the time after Willie and um, Alfonso, then it was Nikita Talon and Bobby Seavers. And uh, <laughs> he would put me in in a class for bar and then pull me out of that class and put me in someone else's class for center but yeah so there was just a lot of change constantly so after know, yeah, after dealing with Nikita for a few months I left and that's when David Howard had left and he opened his school mm-hmm. on the west side and so I went there you know like but
1: Hark- Harkness mostly toured abroad didn't they like they did most mm-hmm. of their shows in Europe they-
2: they toured, yeah, they did New York and but mostly they toured in Europe, you know everywhere in Europe, and the last tour was in Asia, but I was gone by then, okay. but most you know the the two the two big companies did mostly um, Europe then Ballet on Broadway was obviously in, in New York at the Beacon mm-hmm. Theater, and it was after that that, yeah, after that, they did an Asian tour. Oh,
1: ballet so. on Broadway, that was Alfonso Cato's ballet, right? Uh,
2: that was wonderful fun. It was back to, um, the producer was Dustin Hoffman, and um, his first wife, Anne, was a ballet dancer, and she had danced in Alfonso's company in, I think, maybe Geneva or somewhere in, in Europe. So, um, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty cool place. <laughs> I
1: can't. I, I think you, I recall you um, talking about possibly meeting Patrick Swayze through Harkness as well.
2: Patrick Swayze was there before me. And, oh, okay. you know, I mean, I, I didn't meet Patrick Swayze. I, I was in class a couple of times that I rem- mm-hmm. that I recognized him, you know, later. But, yeah, no, but he was there a few years before me.
1: And then, um, so when you went from Harkness and then you went over through to
2: Chicago, right? I did. I went to Ruth Page, um, to her That's Nutcracker, right. yeah, yep. in Chicago, which was fun. I love Chicago. It's such a great city, and Ruth was so amazing. She was in her 80s, early 80s then, and she took class with us every day. It wow, was, yeah. I'm, I, I, th- I think you said that you, you were actually sewing
1: or uh, mending Always. some of the tutus that were falling apart when you were in Chicago. Uh, no, not in
2: Chicago. In Chicago, mm-hmm. we had wonderful costumes. Um, when I was at Harkness, we had old costumes from the company and some stuff that she had bought, um, Rebecca had bought from Ballet Russe tours, and you know, none of it had ever been cleaned because nobody believed you were supposed to clean costumes. <laughs> and um, I mean, oh, my God, I mean, I used to smuggle things out in my dance bag and throw them in the bathtub because they <laughs> were so filthy. It was disgusting. I mean, I remember getting a rash around my waist from, you know, from the Petersham waistbands that were just caked with sweat and, ugh, you know, So, yeah, I used to take things home and then I'd sew ribbons inside the seams that were fraying that itched. I was the princess in the pea, you know. So, I mean, I was always fixing my clothes because nothing felt good.
1: (laughs) So, Michelle and I, we used to have uh, this saying on one of our podcasts, throw some vodka on it. Yeah,
0: throw some vodka on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, little I I wouldn't imagine vodka too much. <laughs> <laughs> little
0: me, little you, yeah, absolutely. I always remember the stories of you telling us about like cleaning things and talking yes. about t- telling us that about how you got a rash and how you had to clean it, and it makes me yeah. not afraid to try to clean stuff, you know, absolutely. And then tell people like just throw it in the bathtub, or you can yeah. throw that in the washing machine, or yeah. you know, take all the embellishments off, it'll be fine. And they're like, what? It's, you know, they're like, it's not, it's not that latest. deep. It's gonna be
2: okay. Oh, it's so true. Our latest thing is we're making tutus with a removable lower panty, so Mm -hmm. you can just unbutton them, throw it in the washing machine, you know, and that way you don't have to worry about taking off any trims or, you know, but I, I mean... Depending on what it is, a lot of times I just fold a tutu, put it in a l- large laundry bag, and put it in the washing machine. And yeah, people do are always really
0: shocked when I say that. Just throw it, especially rehearsals. Yeah.
2: Rehearsal mm-hmm. tutus,
0: well, like, just throw it in the washer, it'll be fine.
2: I learned that from Christopher Vergara, who, he's a costume designer, and he at one point worked for the, the trucks and they would tour, and he toured with them. And, you know, you'd go, they do a show and you take all these sweaty men's tutus, put them in a box wet and go to the next city. You know, and he said it was so disgusting. You know, he's like, after a while, you can't even steam them because, you know, you're inhaling whatever. So, you know, and, and that's he's the one that started that. He would just take them, fold them in half and put them in whatever washing machine he could find in whatever city they were in. And he told me that, and I, I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to try this. And sure enough, it works just fine. Yeah, you might have to steam it out a little bit. I I do it with rentals all the time.
1: And your <laughs> rental costumes have lasted a very long time, so I'm pretty sure some that your method,
2: it works. And 30 years. You know, we're at a point now where some of the really oldest ones, we're, you know, revamping. And so we just take everything off, take the hoop out. I mean, the hoops are rotted by, you know, now if they even have a hoop i mean a lot of times we don't put hoops in things and most you know most professional dancers don't like a hoop it's the kiddies in the schools that think it's like that whole caricature of life of reality, you know, oh, it's supposed to be flat. So therefore, everybody makes them super flat. And then, you know, every time the dancer turns around, her rear end looks like the baboon's rear end. You're not supposed to see their rear end. So there has to be a slope, even if they're flat.
0: Yeah, I think it also visually matches the dancer and their shape and their lines When it it has that slope and it's softer put together and the the netting is, you've always taught us to distribute the netting, you know, through the panty and... It doesn't have to be tight, tight, tight. Yeah. And it it just looks so much softer and matches what they do.
2: Yeah. It it looks so
0: much more natural. But then when I see the ones that are like a board, I'm like, oh, (laughs) like, and that's part of the difference between, you know, different methodologies, you know, about how, how you instruct, you know how we've all adapted yeah. it, how other people instruct you know, and how they it's construct
2: a, get built. It's them. a living art. it you know it, it it's not static. If anyone ever tells you their way is the only way, they don't know what they're doing. They know mm-hmm. nothing. i I can tell you I know nine different ways to make a classical tutu that I can think of off the top of my head. And I'm sure there's a million more, you know, you don't, there is no one right way. And it it really so much of it depends on what the choreographer wants and what the director's background is. Are they Russian background? Are they English background? You know, what do they think is perfect? Because you really, you know, your costumers are the support group. They are not the star of the show. No one is going to pat them on the back and say, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so talented. No one cares. Your job is to make the dancer not be naked, not even look great. That's their job. Their job is to make the dancer look great. And the dancer's job is to, you know, make herself look good. And, you know, your job is to make her not have one more thing to worry about. She's got enough to worry about. And that's all a costumer is. And Sorry if I'm, like, <laughs> taking away the here, but I am so tired of hearing people whine about not getting, you know, patted on the back for their talent. Who cares? You know, this is, it's a job, and it's a job you do because you choose to do it and you love it. And if you're not doing it, um, if you're not getting satisfaction out of it that way, then you don't belong in this business because nobody's going to pat you on the back. Yeah. Know?
1: You know, you're totally right. It's one of those things where social media, right? You got to love it. You got to hate it. Sometimes I'm just, I'm so baffled at why a costume designer or a tutu maker gets so upset if they have not been cited for that dancer that just put a post online that they created their costume. And it just gets such a heated debate. And I'm like, who cares? Who cares if you know that you made that costume, just take that inward word and say, I'm so happy they had a great performance
2: on stage. The dancer doesn't think about that. I mean, it's it's a given that they're going to be given a costume to wear. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. And the rest of it is nothing. They have got to worry about their feet and their line. And did they eat too much last Friday night? You know, is, <laughs> are they going to fit in their costume? They have so many other things to think about. And they've got a 100, a 1,000, however many people are in the audience watching them. You know, and those people pay a lot of money to see them. So they expect the costume to fit and the costume not to make them look bad. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you've gotta remember that dancers are small people, whether they're five foot eight or five foot two or whatever, they're still they're doing these intricate movements and line that go to that. They don't go to see things. They can go to the, you know, the Met or wherever, any museum when they're having a costume show and look at costumes. They're going to see the ballet. And if you're, you know, if you put something on the dancer that's too much, I mean, like all these flowery bodices <laughs> and they look like, you know, Hawaiian shirts or something, you know, and then you're not you're you're covering up rather than enhancing the dancer.
1: Take us back to the very first tutu you ever made oh, for God. your first commission.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, first commission. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I've made tutus before that mm-hmm. for myself when I got sick of wearing the itchy stuff. The first time I ever got paid for it, I was when I really got serious about it, you know, I was starting to learn about it. I was in um, Maryland um, in a ballet company. And the year before I was there, they had had a fire in their warehouse. Everything was smoke damaged beyond use. And the, the director. At that time, Petrus Bosman and Petrus had bought, I guess, retired costumes from the Royal Ballet where he was from. And that's, you know, they had beautiful costumes beautiful tutus and they were just destroyed and and so i you know I went and asked if i could have a couple of them that they you know that because they were going to the warehouse to throw things out so you know i asked uh, the production manager and they said sure you know everything's going in the dumpster you know so i i got two of them and i just reverse engineered them i didn't know anything about patterning at the time or you know much about anything <laughs> so i just you know took a seam ripper which was real easy because they were you know rotted from the yeah. fire i just took them all apart just measured everything and starting you know I was just playing with it then I got a phone call from Sylvester Campbell and he had been a principal the year before I'd been in a company in Washington and he was one of the principals there and he retired it was his last year dancing and it was the first year of the Baltimore School of the Arts and he had been hired as the dean of dance and um, he called me up and he said I heard a rumor that you're making tutus you know (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm in Baltimore too. Hey. And he said, well, I'll pay you $50 a tutu to make 12 of them for us. And I oh thought God. that was a fortune. This was 1982, maybe. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so yeah, so I made $50 a uh, tutu and I made both tutu and bodice. And yeah. I mean, you know, you can imagine what they looked like. I didn't know what I was doing. After 12 of them, I began to figure it out, but that was only the beginning, you know. I mean, it takes 10,000 hours before you can be an expert at something. And I think that's pretty much true. It's 10 years or 10,000 hours, you know, because I can, I remember 10 years in when I, where I was exactly in the moment when I went, you know what, I actually do know what I'm doing. And it was about 10 years into making them when I really knew what I was doing. So I made those 12 tutus for them. I didn't know about fitting. So of course I never had a fitting. I just fit them on them afterwards. (laughs) You know, I didn't really know how to tack yet. And I'd never heard of steamer, you know, so I was laying them down with books and stuff like that, you know. So I mean they were a mess, but they loved them because they didn't know any better. Nobody ever knows any better. You know, you're the one that knows better. And so you, you know, you keep getting better because you you see what's wrong with them, you know, and yeah. all I saw was every bad tutu I'd ever worn. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, real quick, did you have any like formal sewing training? How like how did you actually learn how to sew? You said you never had any patterning. So kind of how did you figure all that out?
2: Well, I mean, I I started really young because my grandmother... You know, so I mean, she was a tailor. She knew what she was doing. And so, I mean, I, I could sew anything. I was knitting it. And I used to, when I was dancing, I knitted um, sweaters all the time and made up my own patterns and stuff. And so I was good spatially with um, doing patterns on paper for, you know, drawing things out and stuff. I was walking down the street in New York with a sweater one, one time. Someone stopped me and they, they had a company. They worked for a company called Marshall Furriers, and they hired me to make sweaters that they would put fur collars on. Yeah. But it was, a great, you know, it was a great job, so I was always good with stuff like that and then David Howard um, you know I I made my own sweatsuits and stuff you know for class and the big thing was velour you know back in the 80s (laughs) and and so David Howard said well Claudia you could make some of those and he had me make one for uh, Kelsey Kirkland and one for Makarova when they were premiering I think it was their Swan Lake premieres and then he had you know their initials put on them monogrammed on them you know so I mean and that, that sort of started it and then unitards were really big then, so we would we'd get somebody to lay down on some lycra and trace around their body. <laughs> <laughs> and sew it up, you know. And people just thought they were great. It was like, you know, oh my God, can you put this color here and that color there? And that's how we did it. From there, I would visit costume shops. I went to work for um the Pavlova celebration, and the costume shop that built all the costumes for that company was Grace Costumes, which is no longer around, but was a big shop back in the day in New York. And they they basically recreated all these costumes from Pavlova's tours. Like Second Act Giselle was. all these these chiffon dresses that went from Giselle in like a creamy white to Myrta was in like charcoal and all the the willies were from light gray to dark gray basically the darker it was the longer you'd been dead and they were beautiful and oh gosh you know there were just all these different valets and stuff and so I'd go over there you know and, and I just ask people questions. And I, you know, it was that annoying, skinny redhead, you know, <laughs> um, that, you know, was always like, well, okay, how do you do this? And oh, okay, yeah, you know, and, and just hung out. So that was my formal training was that sort of thing. And then I just started visiting shops everywhere, got to go to the Royal Ballets and spend a day, which was wonderful, thanks to David Howard, lying to them. <laughs> 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 um, I went, David, I was in London at, at the same time David was, cause he, he would teach for the Royal a few months out of the year. And, and I happened to be in London at the same time with Sophie, my daughter. And so I called David and I said, Hey, you know, can I, bring Sophie to come watch class and he said "Oh, sure come you know and so we went to watch company class and Sophie was bored out of her mind I thought you won't be bored later you'll love it later <laughs> you know? right. um, And afterwards I asked him if you know if there was any chance I could go up to the shop you know and, and visit and hang out some so he went into the office and he told them that I was the big hot new designer that ABT was trying to hide from everyone <laughs> I didn't know and I didn't know this I didn't know who did it I went up there they rolled out the red carpet every was so kind, so nice, answered all my questions, you know, opened up their costume Bibles and said, okay, this is where we got this. And this is where I, you know, I found a lot of where I get things from this way. And I had no idea what he had done until six months later when I was teaching a a costume class for directors, ballet teachers at, at SUNY Purchase. And David, David was teaching the, you know, the teachers how to teach class. And so we would have dinner. We'd go every, every year. That's when I would see him and, you know, and and we're having dinner and I said, you know, I never thanked you for, you know, getting them to let me hang out. You know, how, God, that was so cool. And he said, well, dear, I told a little white law. (laughs) Almost died. (laughs) I believe you did that. I'm not a designer. (laughs) I'm a, the oldest sweatshop shop girl at tutu.com. You know, so, you know I mean, I just—I've been in—I've been in the right place at the right time, and very lucky over the years because I didn't go to school for this. I actually went to college and majored in political science, and then went to grad school in radio, TV, and motion pictures because I was going to become an entertainment lawyer. And then I decided I didn't like wearing high heels. And I was too close to point shoes. Wrong end of the foot. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: wrong end of the foot. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, I, you know, and then I just I worked a lot various places and learned from the bottom up, you know, what I was doing and read read a lot. I mean, I eat patterning books, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I just I really enjoy it. I have no interest in doing patterns really. I mean, the ones that I've done You know, it's for the first few years of tutu.com. I felt like because we were the only thing on the internet. We went on the internet in 1994. You were Um, the first. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, I felt like I was putting out fires all the time. Oh Mm -hmm. God! Well, I mean, because my patterns, you know, they would be really raw patterns because you know I was draping and they weren't finished. And you know, and so I would okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to finish. And God, they want a different size. How do you braid? You know, finally, I found a you know, company that grades. You know, thank God, because I hated that. But, you know, it was just like awful, because I, that's not what I wanted to do, you know, and so I would, I just finally said, Ugh, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that. Maybe I'll get back to it sometime. I mean, we do it in the shop all the time for us, but it's that next step of commercializing it. And I have no interest in doing it on the computer. I know it takes five minutes. I hate computers, you know, like I said, I, I'm a dot-com owner who hates computers. I don't ever go on a computer at home. If I'm working at home and I have to, like if I'm writing, I will write at home. But that's the only part of work I'll do at home on a computer.
0: This past fall, I took a uh, patterning class just to kind of mm-hmm. get a sense of that because I thought it might yeah. help me with making alterations. And it it definitely has. Oh, yeah, it, it will. But, it but will I have it. to admit, I really loved the process of drawing uh-huh. Right, the things and measuring that's really, I think, because I like yeah. math, that was so interesting to me. And I as I was, yeah, and yeah. as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking, oh, I bet that's what she loves about it, you know, that it's that mm-hmm. just that whole process of, you know, and then you can just really draw the line, and then you're like, oh, I don't want it to look like that. Let me redraw the line, yeah. Yeah. you know, or, or however that might be. That and, makes so much sense to me. Yeah,
2: but for me, it's like, you know, we do things. For our own purposes, and or I'll do things for the seminars. That's really what gets me going, you know. I'll, oh gosh, I've got to do a stretch tutu. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have a class, so we better do a pattern in it, you know. And so I'll do a pattern, and you know, do play with it and put it on people, and you know, get the bugs out and stuff. I'm just really slow because thing, and I'm I'm one of these anti just flat patterning by math people. I think you have to put it on three dimensions. You have to, and then you have to tweak it, and then you go back to the drawing board and then you do it again and put it on. I mean, the more you tweak it, you'll get it right and you'll get it as right as it's going to be because nothing's going to be perfect for every single human who's a size three, four. You know, they're all built differently. But just doing it on the computer flat without doing the draping part and putting it on people, it's just too easy to make mistakes. I always cringe when I hear people say, oh, yeah, you you know, just take it and put it on the um, printer at work and change the percentage. So you can get, you know, and then you can get all the other sizes. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But people do that. And then they, you know, they, they still don't fit, you know. Yeah,
0: I was really hoping we you Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started doing Tutu School and doing yeah. the seminars that you do? I'd love to hear about that. You know, what gave you the idea? And then Ugh. what was the first one like? Casey and I have both been to Tutu School and uh, loved multiple. every second of it multiple yeah. times, multiple yeah. times. And it's just <laughs> really like fun. a vacation I schedule for it myself is. every couple of years. Yeah. And I go down and hang out and have a great time and build build something well, and learn a ton and laugh a lot. <laughs>
2: yeah, and you get to meet other like minded people. And, you know, because, I mean, you know, especially. If you're not working in a shop where there are other people there all the time, then you're working at home and 90 percent of the time you're working alone. And gosh, it's just it's so nice to be able to, you know, walk in and say, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to do this and it's not working. You know, hey, what do you, what would you do? And, there, you know, and that's what Tutu School offers for people who have already made tutus, you know, and come back and stuff. And for the beginners, it gives them a community because, Mm -hmm. gosh, you know, it's so lonely in the beginning. You don't know what to do. And you're, you know, you're making it up as you go along. And then you come to tutu school and maybe you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. It saves a little bit of time, you know, and people learn something from each other. Our first tutu school was the brainchild of (laughs) the then marketing director of Charlotte City Ballet back in the early 90s. She was trying to figure out a fundraiser, and I was making lots of tutus for people back then, you know, just individuals and stuff, and there was no real internet yet. Kat, her name was Cappy. It's <laughs> like, oh, no, we can do this as a fundraiser, and, you know, we can use the studio and set tables up, and you can teach. So what? what she didn't realize, it meant I had to write instructions, and it meant I had to figure out how to teach. It meant we had to advertise it, all this stuff. I had just had a baby. Sophie was maybe six months old and I had pneumonia. (laughs) So it was, I couldn't talk. I had laryngitis and pneumonia. All we did was put one of those little tiny classified ads in the back of Dance Magazine, because that that was it. We had 22 people show up from everywhere, from Australia, from Alaska, England, um, Mexico, all over the United States. I mean it was insane. Cappy got Bernina to sponsor it and so they brought in all the sergers and sewing machines. We had a million tables and they set it all up in the biggest studio. I mean it was really fun, but it was exhausting. And Patty Halagian, who's still making costumes, was one of the first one in one of the people in that first class and she's come several times since she can really sew. Rebecca from Class Act two was there. It was her first one. I mean she came several times. She's been a friend for a million years. Gosh, it was such an eclectic group of people. I mean, you know, and I, I did my best, but boy, I couldn't talk. It was awful. One lady sewed her panty together the wrong way, you know, not the front seam, but the back seam, and got about half of her net on it before I caught it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but we've all done silly mistakes like that. Yeah, you know, (laughs) there were all kinds of crazy things, you know, and I mean, it was, you know, anyway, so the local paper, Cappy got them to do a story and the AP picked it up. So it was all over. I mean, it was crazy. It was all over. And then suddenly I start getting these nasty phone calls, these anonymous calls from costumers telling me, How dare you teach other people? You know, you give away this art form. We, you know, hold it so close and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was getting these nasty, threatening calls. And I would just say, Well, honey, I'm not giving it away. I'm selling it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the um, comments I was going to make was that, costuming for the ballet specifically has always mm-hmm. been such a guarded knowledge and the, the beautiful yeah. thing for you to be hosting these tutu schools is you are a knowledge keeper who is passing it on to the I, next generation
2: I don't think that the really good people held on to it ever in, what it I think that's kind of one of those myths in the ballet world and there's so many myths in the ballet costuming world ballet world is very small Mm-hmm. If you're in the ballet world, there's only one degree of separation, not not any of the six degree nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't know someone, I definitely know someone that knows them. I mean, that's just the way it is. And everyone knows who everyone is, even if you don't know them. It is a very tight community. And as such, it's not a community that trusts outsiders easily, you know. So, I mean, that's why I think, you know, have, being a dancer and living in New York And, you know, having people like, you know, my teachers vouch for me, basically, and stuff allowed me to go places and ask questions that if I wasn't already in the ballet community, no one would have given me the time of day. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's more that people are like, well, who are you? Why? Why do you want it? What are you going to do with it? You know, who do you know? It's that kind of a a community. It's very closed and very also very tradition bound. (laughs) I was laughing with somebody who who runs a costume. shop for a ballet company. Traditionally, bobinet was what you used for panties. You know, a bobinet is expensive now to get the, you know, the good kind with the small holes. You know, you're going to pay about 35 $40 a yard and you've got to use two pieces together. It's a lot of work and it shrinks. So you've got to wash it and shrink it before you even put it together, or it's not going to fit anyone. It's going to be doll sized. So it, you know, it costs about $80 to make a panty out of bobbinet these days. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have the big bucks budget, would you have to find something else? And so, you know, what they're using now, which we carry and supply, is that it's the same polyester tool that we carry in all the skin tones, you know, Mm -hmm. for insets. I mean, it comes in 5 million colors and it's, you know, cheap, but it's sort of like like the same texture as bobbinet, but it's not cotton. It's not going to shrink. So, But you know how long it took people um, to change from something that was the only way to do it? And there's still people who think it's the only way to do it. Power net lasts 10 times longer. Mm -hmm. You know, that somewhat because it has such good return. It doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not like using lycra for a panty where it's eventually sweat's going to break down the fibers, stretch it out. So it looks like the girl's wearing a diaper, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anything in a tradition-bound kind of business, it's hard for people to accept anything new, any ideas. You know, I mean, there are people who are still doing things the way I did it when I first learned, but you know, I mean, when you make tutus every day, you, you go, well, you know what, maybe this would work better. No, it didn't. Let's try something else. And you figure out, you know, so every time I teach, it's different. And I've I've had people come back after five or six years and go, that's not what you taught me for. And I'm like, well, that's why you're here to learn something new. Right. You know. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the thing I look forward to. You know, we I came yeah. down and made a tutu I mean, this past summer and learned. Yeah. You, you had a few new things that you did. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Always
2: something new, you know. And, and um, I mean, Summer and, and Lindsay, especially, are always coming up with a new idea. You know, always. You know, in Summer and I'll sit and drink coffee. We do drink coffee in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and bat around ideas, you know. She'll come and she'll say, okay, I'm making this. I know you've made this before. How did you do it? What do you think about this idea? And I'll go, yeah, that's a great idea. That's going to save time, you know. <laughs> And so then I'll pass it on at Tutu School. It's just such a fluid art. Everything evolves. And if it doesn't evolve, it dies out.
0: Yeah, I also think that you were talking about, you know, a different, you know, they used use Bobinet and, and then we have all these other, uh, you know, you can do PowerNet or Lycra or, you know, these yeah. other products. I also mm-hmm. think as our techno like fabric technology changes, you know, and how we use things and make make changes in that, that's definitely going to inform how you guys, bi- how we build things, right? Oh, and yeah, the way yeah. that we use things. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't think those old, old, you know, classic methods, I think, I feel like they'll still hang on. Like there's certain ways that you just know how to sew or do something that's just, it just works. Uh, You know, using that coupled with, you know, new technology, you know.
2: Yeah, new technology. technology, There are some things that you can't shortcut out. You know, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to press but that's the first thing people stop doing and you can see it you have to press things it drives me nuts mm-hmm. um you know that's that's the first thing that goes i mean there's there's so many things you you have to properly flatline things i mean urgers mm-hmm. came in that's when all the shortcutting started you know it's like i don't have to baste it anymore let's just do this, you know and so people sew around like this and and then everything's twisted and there's a bump, you know. I mean it doesn't work that way. So I mean that's something that's not going to change. You have to press and you have to flatline your bodices. And if you don't, I will know. So <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> will everyone else you know no, you know, seriously proper use of grain line you can't just say oh, I'm going to save fabric and I'm going to put this this way and that that way and I cringe you see that all the time because this is something that's going to fit with very little ease and so it has to be as comfortable as possible and if it's off grain the girl is going to constantly be pulling on it because it's pulling funny it feels funny yeah you know you start, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah seam lines you know Steam allowance, it's something else. And I don't care how good people think they are, they can't eyeball it. They think they can, but they can't. It'll go off somewhere, you know, if you're not being careful and paying attention to it. I had a lady who came to tutu school one year who sewed beautifully and um, she made an eight piece bodice and she comes over to me and she goes, I just measured this bodice and it's two inches too small and it's your pattern and blah, 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 blah. So I got out my ruler and I measured her seam allowances (laughs) and then I added it all up and it came to exactly two inches. And she was like, I never, have ever paid attention to my seam allowances I said well how do you do this you sew tutus and things for people she goes I do a lot of fittings and a lot of altering yeah
0: wow yeah
2: (laughs) well it's like oh my god she said this is going to save me so much time but here's somebody who really she sewed beautifully and I mean her work looks so good uh, until you looked at her seam allowances she just didn't she didn't even not just did not eyeball she didn't pay attention at all Mm -hmm. it was crazy but you know, but those kind of things are the important things and they're the things that people don't do.
0: Yeah. They're yeah. also the things that take the longest,
2: right? Yes.
0: That's they why take, people that don't do the it. Longest. <laughs> You want and you want to cut those corners and you can't, but when you when you do those things, yeah, the results are amazing.
2: Yeah, and you know, you you get faster. I and mean, this is what I, I always cringe. The worst students are the ones that come to class and they're just really fast and they're trying to be first and, you know, impress everyone by how fast they are and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, if you've never taken the time to get good at it then fast, then you're never going to be good if you're already fast. You have to get good first and then over a period of time. Of repetition Of doing that same thing Over and over You get faster at it This is my big thing The the lack of respect For sewing in general Is, you know is Oh, it's women's work Women have always Done that at home You know, anyone can do it I had a guy come to class In California You know, who'd never Sewn a day in his life And he was going to Make a tutu And then take it to China And copy it And put us out of business He told me this in class Showed up a day late First thing he did Was set his computer up To show everyone His naked pictures of him himself in ballet poses. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was nuts. Didn't bring scissors. Didn't bring thread. He'd just walk over to people's tables and take their stuff. <laughs> Finally, oh, this word. one woman had had enough, and I worship her. <laughs> and she just let him have it. Oh, it was priceless. And needless to say, he did not finish his tutu. He was not a happy person. Never heard from him again, thank God. But I don't know why I just went into that story. I don't. Know. What was I talking about? <laughs> I think um, we were talking about cutting corners. Oh yeah, cutting corners and stuff. Yeah, you know, you're not going to do a good job, and I, I get really upset with you know hearing all this stuff about they didn't like it and blah blah blah, and you know how dare they? And they said it didn't fit and this and that. Well, it probably didn't fit if they said it didn't fit. You know, stop whining is what I say. Take it back, give them their money back, put it on the internet, sell it to somebody else. You're not going to make yep. everyone happy yep. and learn from it yep. if they there's a fitting issue that's on you yep. and it may be on the fact that they gave you bad measurements, but there's things you can do, you know, about that. You can nowadays, there's lots of stuff. You can Skype with your people while they're taking measurements.
0: Yeah. If they're
2: really freaking out. And see where they're doing it. Or you can have them, if they don't do that, you have them take a picture of every measurement as it's being taken. And I only go to those extremes if I get something that I know is really wacky. Like the other day, I got one for a guy that had a 26 chest, a 34 waist, and a 38 Hip. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. I she had met. I don't know what. I think she put him in the wrong place or something. But I um, mean, you know, you get those kind of things. That's when I make people show me what they're doing. You know, yeah. that's that's the worst. Anyway. I did a
0: Google form with photographs showing like on that's my good. dress form of what to measure, mm-hmm. and then you recommended Skyping. And then sometimes what I'll do is say, Hey, can we video call? You know, do you yes. need do you need that confidence of a video call? pull up the form. Let's talk about it. We'll go through it. We've done, we've talked on the show about doing, you send the muslin to them and have Mm -hmm. them go on, you know, do a video call with you and and just show and mark it, draw on it with pen and write on it and then send it back to you. And it definitely helps. It helps oh, in the yeah. process when you're, especially yeah. when you're working with someone from a distance.
2: That's why it takes time to do things. I mean, and also, I mean, if you're doing more than one project at a time in the shop, they probably have right now four or five things going on at the same time. If someone, you know, wants something yesterday. They're not going to get it because there's already four or five things going on and there's other things scheduled. We have to think about eight eight at least eight weeks out you know I mean when it's busy it can be 12 to 16 weeks out Um, if it's something that's not so custom it's still going to be time you know but not not as much
1: I think this is a good segue into Claudia you you telling us about how you went from your little shop that you had working out of your home (laughs) and when you made that big leap of faith into moving yourself into a industrial space where you are right now you have racks and racks full of fabrics which we would always love to be able to provide that for our customers but we just can't yeah, um, it's,
2: so. yeah it's crazy it's i mean we started it i was artistic director at charlotte city ballet and you know, was making things on the side. And then tutu school was kind of the beginning of it all. And that was the year that, you know, the web, the internet first start, started. I mean, that was four websites ago. And we just had a, a single page selling instructions to make tutus. And then, of course, people would, it was always on the phone. And I was constantly on the phone then, you know, and, and I couldn't do my other job. And I'd gotten remarried. You know, I had a, a lot going on. Um, and so I was very happy you know, to to just I would have been very happy to just make tutus occasionally on my dining room table, you know, and supplement our income. And then everybody starts saying, well, can you make a pattern? Can you do this? Can you do that? Well, okay, I have the pattern now. Where do I get the couture. where do I get this where do I get that and you know and do you have well do you have any you know I don't you know because I, I was buying in quantity because of the ballet you know we were buying in quantity in the shop at the ballet you know and so I would say okay well I can sell you 10 yards of it and it just that's how it grew it grew from there and suddenly my garage got upfit into a 400 square foot workspace and then all the fabrics started taking over I mean as my kids were went off to school or work or New York or whatever. We took over their bedrooms. You know, one room was shipping, one was the office. (laughs) And it got to the point where, you know, when it started invading my kitchen, that was it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we found, um, you know, 5,000 square feet about 11 years ago now when we first found it. Spent the summer moving in there, and then a company I'd been doing business with, it was really like over a hundred year old company, decided to close. They wanted to retire. Their kids didn't want the business. They sold it off in pieces. They were, they had done um, one of their businesses was a catalog company, you know, making catalog costumes and they did tutus for Billy. Elliott, and, you know, other Broadway stuff. So I bought a lot of their fabrics. Some of those are things that we can't get again, you know, because they're just not made anymore, you know, and so I bought every bit they had of some things, you know, you know and that was how we, we started it. And I mean, in the house, we had already hired people. I had two stitchers, a person who, you know, did office stuff, answered the phone. I mean, we were already at that point, you know, when we were still in the house. But I mean, you just what it boils down to is not when do you know when to do this, that, or the other. It's you have to decide who you are it's like I always say you know at seminar you have to decide who your customer is Mm -hmm. are you Vera Wang or are you Walmart or where in between are you who is your customer and besides that you have to decide who are you you know I mean what how how big do you want your business to be do you want to sell fabric internationally you know I mean do you really want to do that I mean you know because the only way you're going to make it cost effective to have as much fabric as we have in a 5000 square foot warehouse is to resell it, you know, and so you have to, you know, you have to think about it. It's like wholesale is not all it's cracked up to be because if it's sitting in inventory, you're going to pay taxes on it, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have to move it out. So you don't want, you know, unless you're reselling, you don't, you know, it's just stupid to try and, you know, keep large quantities of something, you know, you might keep one or two things, you know, that you know, you're going to use over and over in quantity. But, you know, why would you keep 65 colors of tool in three different widths if you're not reselling it? It makes no sense.
1: You know, as well as if you're not even using it, you know, if you've had right. that fabric and it's been sitting yeah. on your shelf for three years, you obviously had no
2: need for it. Well, and eventually it's going to dry rot, yep. you know. I mean, fabric has a shelf life just like elastic does and thread, you know. I mean, I never buy so-called really good thread if it's on sale. So there's a reason, you know. <laughs> if you can snap it, it's not a good thing, you know. <laughs> your costume's going to snap.
1: When we moved into the house that we're in right now, the first thing that my husband had said when we went downstairs was, do you think this is going to be large enough for your studio? And I, I looked at him and I was like, just I was drooling practically. And, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and every single square inch of this yep. studio down here is occupied.
2: Yep. That's what yeah. happens. You know? I mean, you know, if you have a counter, a space that doesn't have something on it, give it a week. So
1: you have got a lot of coming up. Um, You've got your USA IBC competition coming up. You've got your runway um, uh, fashion show coming up at the competition. You just finished your, online model search and you're in the middle yes. right now of doing your online new designer search so plug your business right now <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, once every four years the international ballet competition one of the original ones is in america and originally it was you know in a different place in the world every year Varna, bulgaria was the first one i um, mean jackson came about because of thalia mara who was a ballerina in the ballet russe here in america i guess settled in um, jackson mississippi I think she married and settled there. And the theater is named after her there. And she's the one that got it all started. So every four years, the International Ballet Competition comes to Jackson. And it's, you know, it's different than the other competitions, because it's not about you pay your money and you go, you have to no, you have to be invited, you have to send videos. And you know, hundreds of people send in videos. I mean, these are the cream of the crop people, you know, they pick like, about around a hundred people, and they have a junior and a senior category. And I think the youngest that you can be is 15 or 16. I mean, these are this is serious stuff. People come from all over the world. I've gone for every four years for pretty much as long as it's been going on. I didn't go the first year, but I'm I've been there. From the beginning, pretty much in one capacity or another, it's grown a little every year. What we do, the the silent auction is really neat, and it will go live through our website. Perfect, um, yeah. it, it goes live May 23rd online, and then all the the donated products will also be there in Jackson. I think they're going to set it up in the in the lobby of the Weston Hotel, which is across a beautiful garden to the theater and the museum, and you know everything's right. There downtown. And we do tutu school also at the Weston, and we have a tutu fashion show there too. But the silent auction is my baby, and it's a fundraiser. P- um, costumers from anywhere donate tutus, tiaras, men's tunics. We have someone donated a bunch of brand new men's tights. A couple of photographers have donated packages. You know, we, we get all kinds of interesting things. And I mean, last time we only had maybe ten or so items and I think we raised about five thousand dollars. Um wow. and so, you know, you'll have like a twelve hundred dollar tutu with the bid bidding starting at two to two fifty. So I mean the deals are amazing that you mm-hmm. can get. And I mean I'm I'm just I'm overwhelmed this time because we have probably triple the amount of stuff as last time. I know oh. it's it's just it's so it's exciting. Fantastic. This Yeah, and so we've been trying to get all the pictures done, and uh, of course I I have not finished my donations. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm working on. (laughs) I've got to get that done. That's what I was supposed to do this weekend before the thirty kitty tutus came up.
1: (laughs) COVID had uh, something to do with this as well, too, right? One of the years had to be delayed.
2: One, yeah. So it's been five years now since the last one. Besides the silent auction, we have a designer competition and you know they basically have two and a half days to make a tutu start to finish decorated and put it on a dancer and each each designer gets a dancer we they basically can work from seven in the morning till I think nine or ten at night but then they have to have it ready to go on into the fashion show so it's part of that we had I think we had 11 last time and right now we've got One just dropped out. So we only have four right now. So, I mean, usually we get some last minute. So I'm I'm guessing it's going to end up being about eight. I'm hoping that would be a good amount. And it's really fun. I mean, oh, my God, they have so much fun. It's so hectic and it's so scary. And I always throw something at them last minute just to be, you know. Um, but Just it's mix it up make, a little bit. Make it, yeah, make it reversible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, something. You know, At, but a it is so much fun. And um, yeah. last time, Samantha Austin won. Um, but Samantha Austin won. She's the costumer for Jacksonville, Florida, I think, Ballet Florida or Florida Ballet, and she did a beautiful job. Jan Curden, and Ballet, was second. And yeah, yeah. Jan actually, Jan oh, it does overhire with us. She, you know, we love Jan. She is <laughs> She's just, she's a beautiful stitcher, and um, she went to FIT, so, you know, she's got a very, very good sound background and, and just beautiful pattern maker, really. And then third is Laura Hill. I think her name used to be Laura Berry. She got yes, married. Cool. Yeah, and she was at the Rock School, and Laura does beautiful work, too. I mean, yeah. just gorgeous. So, I mean, but they, we had people from all over Canada, Mexico, all over the place, and it, it's fun because you meet so many people, you know, doing it. And you meet, I mean, directors are constantly coming in and looking at everyone's stuff. And and the good thing about the auction is, you know, we put out everyone's um, information, you know, I mean, so it's not just that they're, Giving a tutu, they're getting their information in front of people from all over the country and the world. Directors and teachers and coaches, um, and they get business that way. Emma, Emma, you talked to you talked to Emma Wang. You were saying yep. Emma donated a beautiful tutu last time, um, and it did really, really well. All of them did in the auction. Everything sold. Anyway. But it's so much fun, and you can, you know, you like I said, you meet a lot of people. You have fun. Now the fashion show we have, besides, you know, besides the the designers, we feature something. Last time we featured, oh gosh, A B T. Um, oh, what's her name? I can't think of her name. We, and we featured her. She had de- designed not this version of ABT Sleeping Beauty, but the one before. And we had all the fairies and Carabas, which was wonderful. This time we're gonna honor David Heuvel, um, mm-hmm. who's one of my favorite designers and he was worked most a lot with ballet west for years and he's recently retired and done just his work is magnificent it is just so I'm so excited to feature him and we're gonna feature also Arthur Oliver from what was the Moscow ballet designer he designed all their stuff it's now the great nutcracker I think as okay. you know I mean his he's another one I mean his designs are just spectacular. I love him. I love working with him. We're really lucky to get to work with him. We're doing a few things for him right now. But anyway, so that's who we're going to feature this year. So we'll have some of their costumes, you know, which the girls are always so excited. I remember we had um, last time we had the carabas that Gelsey had worn, Gelsey Kirkland, and the little girl that got to wear it was just I mean, she was beside herself crying. she was so excited she got to wear that costume. Yeah, so so it's it's just a lot of fun and it's it's always sold out. I mean, it's always a full house. Hey, one thing action, I know I jump around a lot, I'm sorry. the money that we raise, every single penny down to I mean penny everything there's nothing is used towards us or the IBC every single penny of it goes to a dancer and the dancers who compete (laughs) the dancers (laughs) that compete can apply for it and the way they apply is they write a one to two page essay about their journey you know to get where they are now and where they want to go and every one of these dancers ends up being a soloist or a principal somewhere. The one that one last time, Alexa Torres, was from the Dominican Republic, you know, didn't grow up wealthy, you know, and, and she had to figure out how to use other people's point shoes to learn to dance on point, you know, and, and she figured it out. She glued cardboard and stuff in them. I mean, it was a wonderful essay. Wow. And, you know, she had made it to the third round and she did not get one of the three places, you know, and she had no idea because they were. Re- it was really disorganized at the end. It was a lot going on. They didn't even tell her in advance, you know, and when she got presented on stage, she had no idea she'd won that money. (laughs) And when they asked her what she was going to spend it on, she said, point shoes. <laughs> but she went to Washington Ballet and has done great there, did her snow, did snow Queen this year, and then in January went to the Paris Opera. Oh, wow. So, Good you for her. Was amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Just, I mean, and that's my favorite part of the IBC is that following all these kids that we get to meet. My very favorite, Marcelino Sambé, from, I think, 13 years ago. I mean, this, he was a junior, and he won the silver in junior. And I never, I just loved him. I just, he. I, I'm still his biggest fan. I follow him all the time. He's a principal at the Royal Ballet now. You should follow him. He's amazing. But yeah, I mean, Sarah Lane, she was one. You know, there's so many people that come through there and do so well that and and it's it's exciting.
1: So my last question, you've you have written so many books. You are published, and my last question to you is, are you working on your autobiography? No.
2: Oh. <laughs> no I, <don't> <laughs> I am working on a couple other things, but not an autobiography, no. Anything you want to talk about? Um no, I'm working on a novel um, I've always wanted to do, so uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Um, I am working on um another tutu book, a different tutu book. Um, and we're working on getting the original one downloadable, you know, that's coming in the next year. So, um, you know, we've been slowly doing the patterns. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not fun. Vicky, our, we have the best um, web person who built our website and is our marketing person, Vicky Shaw, and um, she's, you know, she's doing all that stuff, and yeah, she, She's. We're so lucky to have her. I, I found Vicky through Jean Schiavone, who was our photographer, and I love Jean's website. You know, and I said, Jean, who did your website? And he told me, and I called her, and um, and we've been working together ever since. <laughs> she's just great. She came up. She's. It lives in South Florida. And she came up for our photo shoot last weekend, which if she had, Andrew and I are, you know, we have no sense of time. You know, and, um, we have a lot of fun. I just love him, too. I mean, you know, I miss Jean, but I love Andrew, too. And, you know, it's worked out so well. Um, Andrew Bowen, he's he's just real up and coming. He really is. He's so good with the dancers. Um, but anyway, Vicky came to make us stay on track and get everything done. And she did a really good job <laughs>
0: how can people find you on social media? <laughs> oh. <laughs> how do we get um, a hold of Claudia?
2: <laughs> we're On Instagram, it's tutu.com official and um, Facebook it's tutu.com and YouTube. I think it's just, I guess it, it's either tutu.com or tutu.com official. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Claudia, we've been so delighted to have you on our show today and having you share your experiences with us, how you created your business and all the work you were doing in the world of costume making, your knowledge and passion for passing, your skills down to the next generation through tutu schools and the support you give us all as we are finding our own journey in tutu making. So we just want to thank you so much for this time with you. And I personally want to express my heartfelt gratitude I have um, to you for lighting my own path and my own journey in making tutus. And we all know that you really have touched so many people's lives in uh, in this small little niche. So we're so honored to have you here with us today. It's been such a joy. Thank you
0: for your time.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed our episode. We would love it if you would leave us a rating and a review, as well as like us and subscribe to our podcast. Join us in the conversation. Our contact information is in the show notes. You can find us together at the Tutu Artist Studio on Facebook and Instagram, or separately as Angela at southerntutus.com, or Southern Tutu's One on Instagram and Facebook, Casey at Tidewaterdancewear.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at Tidewater Tidewaterdancewear, and Michelle on Etsy, Facebook, and Instagram at I Can't I Have Dance Shop. Thanks again for joining us.